1: to the lark cast cheers Russ how you doing man good 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 um our last podcast uh we were on the front end of uh March Madness and um I know you said you your hopes were not high uh as it related to your Blue Devils but I have to ask you what are you more surprised about this morning the fact that Duke is in the final four or that Will Smith smacked Chris Rock on live television last night at the Oscars, which one's (laughs) more
0: surprising. Uh, I'd say based on how Duke was playing towards the end of the season, them being in the final four would be more surprising.
1: (laughs) More surprising. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I feel like.
1: if, if you told me before the tournament, do they have a chance? Well, yeah, they have a chance. There's a probability of that. But then if you came to me and said, what do you think the probability of Will Smith walking on stage at the Oscars during like Chris Rock's monologue and just slapping him? Would you say like, what was the percentage of that like happening? I would say that, cool. you know, the slot would be like a lot lower than than Duke's chances of making it this far.
0: I feel like if you would have asked me that about <laughs> Will Smith um, in 2019, I'd be like, "Yeah, that's not happening. There's no way that's happening." But I feel like if the last two years have taught us anything, it's like it's it's to not be surprised. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I am less surprised by things right now in my life than I've ever been. <laughs>
1: i feel like that dude's just been through a lot like he's been the butt of so many jokes um yeah. and uh yeah some people are like well was it a publicity stunt was it like truly just you know out of character in the moment like anger you know kind of thing was chris rock in on it like dude based on his reaction especially the um i don't know if it's the some of the foreign you know channels mm-hmm. that were picking up on they played the whole thing <laughs> based on chris rock's
0: reaction i don't think he was in on it no he's not that good of an actor
1: (laughs) (laughs) holy cow man that was crazy yeah
0: he's a great comedian um but i don't think he's a great actor and that was a really good performance man (laughs) if he was acting like it should have got an oscar at the end of the show if it was (laughs) in fact publicity but um and, man, there's so many, right? Like, like when it happened, dude, it was – I mean, I'm, like, driving home from a trip to see family in North Carolina. Anyways, we're driving home to, you know, South Florida, which is like a, you know, 12-hour drive, dude. And, you, you know, we've got a little dude in the back seat, and, you know, we're trying to make the most of it, and phones just start going berserko with this. Like, while this thing's unfolding on the Oscars, I'm like <laughs> – I thought the Oscars was on life support based off the last few years. No, totally. But it, uh, I guess it's back now. And yeah, it's definitely back. Everyone's going to tune in next year. to See who's going to slap who. My question is what are going to be all of the Christian takes? That's what I was wondering. <laughs> so I couldn't already you, but wake up I've already seen a couple. Yeah. Just see what, <laughs> I mean you've got people making the case for like finally man a man standing up and being a man in our culture showing what love is you know and of course you have people on the opposite side of that and um I did find a little bit ironic that you know Will Smith got up there like 20 minutes later and kind of gave this passionate speech about you know love makes you do crazy things <laughs> And I ain't gonna lie, dude, I couldn't help it. Like, when I heard that, I'm like, you mean, like, forgive the guy who said something insulting <laughs> versus slap him? Like, like, love makes you do those kind of crazy things?
1: Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, <laughs> it had, to, it. like, it, it was hard to not feel, like, premeditated. Like, he had it in his mind. Like, he was going to, you know, do something. I mean, they're right in the, they're basically right in the front. He's up for yeah. best actor. Um. He's been a target in the past mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying so you can tell like to me it felt calculated you know like he knew exactly what he was doing he's got a new show coming out he's got a lot going on professionally and uh it just it just it felt yeah. a little
0: it felt a little premeditated to you me. might have a you might have a very good point there and everything yeah, in this
1: world seems like theater anyways uh from politics to Hollywood to you know, yeah. social media in general, sports. Everyone's, yeah, yeah. it's all. It seems all seems kind of like theater. But March Madness, I feel like, is one of those like pure things still in our culture, where like a, you know, yeah. what was that? What was that Cinderella team? The Saint Saint Peter's. Yeah, yeah, made it um, to the Elite Eight. Yeah, which is is pretty cool. Like, what other like college or what other playoff format do you see things like that? you know, happening. So let's, let's preserve the true and good things in our culture, like March madness and congrats (laughs) to your blue, congrats to your blue devils for making it to the final four.
0: They did. It's uh pretty exciting man, but they're playing Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. They had a, a mixed year. They, they absolutely owned Carolina the first time they played them this year. And then they played them again, you know, like three weeks later, two weeks later. Which is, you know, they do every year. They play them twice, and they didn't do well. They got beat. So it'll be interesting to see which Duke team shows up. It's either going to be a really happy day, or you're going to lose your salvation. That's those are the two options. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go a little Will Smith on somebody. <laughs> you're either you're either gonna curse God and die, or you're just gonna be like really happy. Yeah. So far, I'm doing okay by just not expecting much. I guess that's the secret to happiness in the sports world. Don't expect much. Mm, take the Zendaya approach
1: in her MJ role in Spider-Man. That's her big thing. Low expectations. Yeah. Don't
0: give yourself yeah. away. Guard yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely cuts in on what you feel in life. So there's a, a pretty significant repercussion of that position and practice that said, I have felt my, I have felt the agony over the years as a sports fan. So be interesting to see what, how, how I go into that game. Well, I'm a bears fan. So basically there is no God. So
1: I just, <laughs> and if he, and if he does exist, he's not good. He's not kind or loving or, or gives a shit at all. <laughs> at least about the people. We'll pull for the bears. <laughs> <laughs> What's the famous line in Caddyshack? They come in. It's uh the priest, he's he, he's at the bar. <laughs> Someone is like it's rated or he had a bad golf game or something he goes there is no God. <laughs> <laughs> I forget what it was. That is funny how that always plays out. Too funny. All right quick commercial before we get into it. Um wanna let everyone know that the next lark live Going to be a little bit of a different format. Uh, Normally, we've been doing kind of like everybody logs in to like a Zoom uh, chat, Zoom conversation. Uh, But the next Lock Live is going to be on Instagram Live Saturday, April 9th, 11 a.m. Central Standard. So it's a weekend. Um, And um, it's going to be just before lunch, kind of midday. And it's going to be a conversation between uh, Jameson, uh, who is on our team. Let you guys know Jameson and our good friend Sarah Mazzara. Uh, Sarah has been discovering a lot of freedom and God's grace recently. She's got a lot of life change going on. She is mm-hmm. an absolute riot. And uh, we're pretty excited for all you guys to hear from her. So again, for next NextLark sure. Live, Saturday, April 9th, 11 a.m. Central Standard on Instagram Live. So be looking out for that.
0: Yeah, man, as somebody who's known Sarah for a number of years, her and Chad both, I'm I'm pretty stoked about everybody just sort of getting a chance to hear more of her story. Get to know her a little bit more. It's um it's pretty cool to see just what God's been doing in and through her. So it's uh it'll it'll definitely be worth your time to take a minute out of your day and tune in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Very cool.
0: So our topic today is finding
1: freedom in, not from in work. And um just a, a framing thought here. Um, I know we it's the same premise right each and every conversation in this finding freedom um series but i came across a quote from uh, french philosopher Luc Ferry, who is uh, confesses and is admittedly um atheist doesn't believe um and it's interesting he says he says this and this kind of frames the broad conversation we're having really really well he says um everyone seeks some way to face life with confidence and death without fear and regret. Everyone seeks some way to face life with confidence and death without fear and regret. In other words, all of us look to something to assure ourselves that we've spent our lives well. And Mm -hmm. I cannot think of a more common justifying story for everyday people to find confidence in the everyday and to die without fear and regret than looking back at a body of work and career and how you performed. And for all of that to speak over your life job, well done. Mm. You can, you can die in peace. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think I mentioned that on the, on our last podcast when we were dealing with just the religion of politics that, the only one I can think of right now that might take precedence over people really seeking to find their sense of enoughness in politics is finding our enoughness in work and what we do. It is, it is definitely the, the, you know, it's, it's always, it seems to me like it's always the automatic response that people have to the question of, you know, so tell me about you, man, who are you? And the immediate answer is always like what we do, for a paycheck yeah
1: yeah I think too like um, you know diving into seculosity on this particular topic and to see that the US leads all other countries in hours worked per year and we Mm -hmm. also lead the country in untaken uh, vacations it seems Mm -hmm. like not like obviously i think globally like there's something about the human heart and work and career and all that but i think something in particular about us who who live in america um and yeah just our culture when it comes to work and career like just flipping through your instagram feed i don't know like it seems like every other every other thing yeah of course your feed is like all figured out in your algorithms and what you like and all that kind of stuff but dude this is like work related efficiency related productivity related leadership related work related content everywhere yeah. everywhere
0: yeah you know when it comes to the conversation of work and it being tied to our sense of identity worth uh purpose meaning right it it seems like we're never not in church, ever. It is, it it is it's so uniquely tied to the sense of who we are. That not only are we oftentimes, and I'm just going to go ahead and say this out loud, <laughs> right now, confession, um, I am one thousand percent guilty of this. Uh, sometimes I I when I think about it. I don't find myself wrestling with my sense of identity or, or worth being tied to what I do. But for some reason, what I do has become um, just such a driving force in my life and what I think about and what I read and what I see. So when I, when I make the comment that we're never not in church in regards to the, the religion of work, I don't mean that aimed at everybody else out there. Um, as much as just something I myself wrestle with, with, man. Yeah, I guess it's a, and it's so true. Like what you said earlier, it's, it's a proven fact. We Americans work more hours um, statistically than anybody else in the world and volunteeringly. And we take less vacation and sick days than the rest of the world. And I, I guess the big question for all of us, myself included here is, I think when it comes to this, this conversation is why do we prefer it? Why do we prefer just work and all the thoughts and ideas and conversations and knowledge out there in regards to doing more, being better, working smarter, climbing higher, achieving more and why it's like, instead of like being angry with the conversation as a whole, in regards to like why it exists, it's almost like no. I, my question is why do we, why do we prefer it? Hmm. Why do I like this conversation so much? Why do I think about this so much? Yeah, that's. Yeah,
1: you know, well, I think it's I, didn't, all I didn't plan some... to share that. Oh, I'm glad you did. Um, yeah, it's like, um, I can share my thoughts and and my life, um, my story and, and my personal take on it. I mean, I have been on the receiving end and seem to be on the receiving end, uh, once or twice a month from a conversation from my wife about, um, being down in my office and the lower level of our house on my computer, uh, cranking out work late at night, being on the phone. Um, you know, those kinds of things. When I sit down to say, how are you and catch up? What do I talk about? I talk about how work's going. Um, so yeah, man, totally. And I think the answer to your questions all has really cool insight on that. It's like with work, you have something that is very measurable. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, you're depending on what your environment is, your work environment, could be very competitive. It could have lots of metrics attached to it. Your performance could be something that you can like visibly see, even depending yep. on like reports and stuff like that. You can you can gauge how well you're doing. And when it comes to the rest of life, like relationships and parenting and being a dad and being a mom, and um, those things are not so easily measurable. And I think we yeah. just love measuring, mapping and managing. And that's why I think we're so tempted to apply that to a relationship with God, because at every turn we just want to know where we stand.
0: Yeah, it goes back to that quote that you read at the beginning from the French philosopher, right? Like we, we desperately want to be in control of the narrative about us. Yeah, at all times. It's that you know, it's, like it's in the garden, you know. It's, like, it's this, it's this fear of missing out. And I feel like if there's one thing that you can work hard at to assure yourself that you're not missing out. And if you feel like you are, there are some tangible means in which you can get caught up and even ahead (laughs) is, is Mm -hmm. when it comes to work. And, and you definitely see that uh, even the shift, I feel like in a broader sense, just in culture in general, man, like not just the, in regards to the numbers of hours that we work for, you know, and also the, how little time off we take, but I mean, even like in the TV shows, I know that's something's all brought up, you know, you think back to the shows in the seventies, the sixties, the eighties, man, um, they all primarily took place at home when you Mm. watch sitcoms.
1: I thought that was a really interesting point. Yeah.
0: Yeah. they, They took place at home and then you fast forward to right. The last 10 years and all these shows, you know, the office, you know, 30 rock, like, you know, Mad men, they, they take place at work. Yeah. Right. And then you think about all the companies that have gone into um, just spared no expense in regards to turning the workplace into an environment that feels like home. Yeah. And then all the different ploys that have been put in place with um, freedom and working from home and a place in the office that feels like home and, you know, no set vacation hours, take as many as you want. And you know what I mean? Like there's just, there's, so many things that are designed to speak and point to some sense of autonomy and freedom. And yet they seem to rob you of both.
1: Yeah, totally. It's really, it's really eerie. Hey, really quick. When you move your hand, you do a lot of motion. It's a lot of like skipping and stuff like that. But when you stay still, it's you're really solid. Just that way. Yeah. Even going back to the garden. I know we talk a lot about that maybe uh, just a a little acknowledgement or to bat this around a little bit like politics, work is always going to be there. And we've said from the beginning problems arise when we turn good things into ultimate things or justifying things or defining things, or we take good things and turn them into God things, you know, work and, you know, taking what God had created and creating other things um was you know in the garden god yeah. tasked adam to man here is this earth here's this garden here's this place that i've created with all these raw materials and all this potential like go for it man like go create yeah. some food go create a house go create clothes go create you know all these things and and you know we don't want to poo poo work or talk down as if work is mm-hmm. is bad this is more of a conversation of how our heart wants to seek in created things what it was always meant to find in its in its creator and so it's a tricky thing when we talk about work and politics and technology and the world itself because we're in this world um, it's not like we can leave it and so all of us are faced and tasked every week every day with this idea of like what am I going to do with my with my hands yeah it's to work this good thing that I can give you know my life to and even like young people trying to figure out okay what is going to be my place in this world vocationally and these are good things to give yourself to a career to even become an expert to give yourself to innovative things and coming up with things that don't exist like all that is beautiful and awesome and amazing and should be celebrated and all that so it is a tricky conversation because The line is very, very hard to draw and it has to do with matters um, of, of the heart, which, which can be tricky, but I just wanted to just on this podcast, take a minute, because I don't even think Zal didn't do necessarily that great of a job of just acknowledging, Hey man, like work is, there is good. There is vitality and life and something intended by God and and his good design for us to give our hands and our lives and our, our attention, our effort to you know, work. And even if you want to go into Luther's theology, Luther's whole thing was how does God exercise care and love for creation? He does it through the hands of, well, this is an old phrase because it's Luther. He goes, he does it through the hands of, of milkmaids. He does Mm -hmm. it through the hands of farmers, Mm -hmm. right? He takes care of creation through the works of our neighbors hands. And that's one of the ways that he exercises his care in creation. Like, imagine if you had to, like make all your own clothes, build your own car, build your own house, take care of all your, all your food, like everything, you know what I'm saying? We benefit Mm -hmm. so much in our world
0: just by the works of our neighbors. Yeah, I would agree. I think works a good and beautiful thing. Um, It's when it becomes a, as you've already said, when it becomes an all, you know, when it becomes a, a justifying thing, when it becomes everything becomes a God thing. And I know those are like phrases that you can throw around and some people get it. And some people are like, well, you know, what do you mean by that? And so just to press in on that, I would say when work becomes a place of refuge, that it's, it becomes a little dangerous. It's now moved into the, to the realm of religion. Mm. It went from being a gift that God has given you to participate in to now a religion in your life mm. that will inevitably enslave you. And I think it's because there's all these, you know, things that are going on in our lives, you know, and you had said it a second ago, just in regards to family, parenting, things like this, relationships. There's all these like less manageable things that are in our lives. And so when you have something that you can ultimately manage, right, in this fear of missing out and in this, you know, believing of a lie that we somehow need to be something, uh, do something, achieve something. Um, that that's where it starts to get a little right. Slippery, man. Mm. And just to, just to read this from Ryan, Avent a columnist. He said the eclipsing of life's other complications is part of the reward of workaholism, it is a cognitive and emotional relief to immerse oneself in something all consuming while other difficulties float by. The complexities of intellectual puzzles are nothing to those of emotional ones. Work is a wonderful refuge. <laughs> yeah. right? He's saying like this, this is one of the reasons why we prefer work mm-hmm. um, the way we do. And even to the point of obsession right over it mm-hmm. is because it does operate like a like refuge, man, a sense of yeah. relief a way to, to numb the pain of life and our inability to control the other things that are around us that we somehow think we're supposed to control.
1: Well, and I think I think I could speak for men in particular. You know, I think there's a prevailing thought that um, if a man has a good job and puts food on the table, a roof over, you know, um, his family's head, the bills are are paid, that there's this idea that like, his provision, his role box checked. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, um, yeah. And then you start to look at just, you know, who God's called us to be as husbands, as dads, um, as neighbors. Um, you know, there's so, there's so many more people in our life that need, you know, more from us than just, you know, three square meals a day, you know, <laughs> heat, air conditioning, and a roof right. over our head. And we've taken, we've really put our jobs really at the center of our life's justification. If you look at it, you know, like that, like, yeah, man, I like, you know, you can just imagine uh, a father being confronted by a son or a daughter, you know, about being there or being present or being involved in their lives relationally. Um, and, the embarrassment and the anger boiling up in the heart and saying, well, I did provide for you. I was there. Look at all this stuff. I, I did in and through my job, I provided for you materially. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, like going back to it, like those other things, they're very, very hard to gauge and to manage Um, getting a raise from your boss or a pat on the back or a promotion or hitting numbers or hitting goals, you know, where you stand when it comes to relationships with your kids, sometimes it's very, very hard to gauge where everything's at. Am I getting an A? Am I getting a B? Am I, am I like a C? I can think, I can maybe figure out like, or like use some like loose kind of relational math in my head to kind of figure out, which mm-hmm. I'm probably gonna give myself a higher score than what my kids or my wife would probably give me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> About to say, depends on who's grading this. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, man, work is a
0: work is a real a real tricky thing. Yeah, and you know, even just making me laugh about this because I was just away uh, with with my family for a week, visiting extended family, and you know, in that in that time away, you get more time with your kids, and which I'm very thankful for. But one of the things I found myself laughing about is it's easy to sort of grade yourself on things with your smaller children because of how honest they are good or bad, right. It gets a little more difficult, you know, when, when kids get older, Mm. right. And relationships get a little more complex and, you know, both, both people are carrying, you know, baggage in a lot of ways. And communication isn't as clear. Mm. So, you know, there's all these like factors in it, but my little dude, Eli, who just turned five, we were driving on the road a couple of days ago and, He was talking about, uh, he said, my dad, um, he goes, I just love my mom and my dad. He's in the back seat. Grandma's back there with him. She's like, oh, that's sweet. He goes, even when my dad puts me in timeout, he still loves me. That's why he sometimes puts me in timeout.
1: (laughs) (laughs) He He has bought your line on that one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But he says, but you know, one of the things he said, which, you know, man, I started (laughs) to tear up a little. I was driving. He goes, uh, he goes, there's nothing in the world I could do where my daddy would stop loving me. Mm. And I'm like, yes. And it's so true. Right. But it's, you hear that, man, and you can sort of see where you are, right. With a little one who just turned five, but what about when they're 15 or 25, you know, the list goes on and uh, you know, I can think about that in relation to neighbors um, relationships with extended family, my wife, but Man, when it comes to the work, it's really simple, right? Is is my boss happy that <laughs> I hit my marks, or if you're the boss, are my customers happy? Am I hitting my marks? Yeah, and,
1: and it, it really like- does
0: offer this false sense of refuge, man. And mm. it and man, it just it gets downright tricky, dude, on your emotions. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and well, sometimes work can be a little bit complicated because I had two friends recently. One just got a promotion within his company and his boss literally said to him, if our company's better off, uh, at the end of your time in your role, that when you started, then you'll know you're doing a good job in your role. And he was like, he was like, what? Like, what? Like, what is that? I have, he's like, I have no idea what you're saying. So he went from this thing that was like very, very measurable. It had to do with, mm-hmm. you know, certain like work orders and, you know, getting tasks done and right. they had goals and all that. Now he's like in this kind of project management you know, Mm -hmm. position. It's not like more, you know, clearly defined. I think some people have like good bosses or the metrics are there or whatever. And I also had another friend um, who said the same thing. Like he had his review from last year and he um, they gave him goals this year. He goes, yeah, they goes, he goes, yeah, they said my goals this year were the same as last year. he was like, what? He's like, you guys didn't really (laughs) think through this. (laughs) very extensively did you so you kind of have some of that psychosis or mind trip maybe if you have a bad boss or maybe some roles are undefined but i would think the biggest one that really can trip you out is some of the stuff i'm hearing about companies switching to unlimited vacation if you want to you want to talk about something that who will really freaking trip you out and mess with your head and your heart and in a work environment. It's the unlimited vacation thing. And I don't want to bring up his name, nor do I want to bring up the company that he works for. But a friend of ours who works for a very well known, very notable company in the world, they just rolled out in 2020, an unlimited vacation um, policy. And he had to, he had to break it down. Like he had to announce it to his team. So they put all the team leaders, you know, you know, tell your team. And he said on his team, he's got people who have been there, you know, 15, 17, 20 years. And then people who have been there from like, just started to, to two years. And he thought everyone was going to be like pretty excited um, about (laughs) it. (laughs) He was like, dang, man, like this is, I mean, like that's, you negotiate that coming in, you know, for a new job. Uh, I mean, I don't know how many people I've heard, like, yeah, man, I got this new job and I was able to get the same amount of vacation here. And, you know, it's part of the salary and, and, you know, paid time off. And he was like, dude, people are going to be like excited about this. He rolls it out and dude, it's anything but excitement. It's pushback, it's fear, it's anxiety. Like all the tenured people were like, this isn't fair. And then all the people who had only been there zero to two years are just like, what the heck, dude? Like, I, there's no way I can take this time off. People are going to judge me if I do. And like the inner turmoil of just being handed this free unlimited vacation and to watch all this anxiety, all this earning, all this work, all that, you almost kind of take the justifying thing away from it the earning and the hard work mm-hmm. um, and it. He said it was like chaos, bro.
0: Yeah, chaos. And my favorite part of hearing that story from this uh, anonymous friend was they're looking back on what people actually did. And in their discovery, the company found that people took way less time off than what they had scheduled off that they did earn before the policy went into place. Yeah. People who were granted more time off took less time than they had already earned. Whether it was a person there 20 years it gets six weeks or the person that's been there for 18 months, it gets two weeks. He said over 90% of the employees took less time. We literally don't know what to do with freedom. He said, um
1: he, at first it kind of reminded him of the parable of the vineyard owner. And I know we've gotten into that, and I'm I'm sure we'll get into it here before this conversation's over. Yeah. But he said it reminded him of that. But he was like, Oh, there's one major difference. <laughs> he goes like he was like, he thought it was like, oh, this benevolent, cool, like new age of yeah, just take as much time off. And it's like, no, they actually knew the psychosis, you know, what yes. this would produce. And they purposely did this so they can extract more out of their employees.
0: Bingo. Yeah. A little minor difference in the, the story Bingo. of <laughs> just a Jesus. Just a little, little difference about what God's like versus <laughs> the company. Who's like, you know what? <laughs> Let me show you how much we love you. <laughs> he we're said he had to grant to- you unlimited vacation, knowing damn well that you will take less time off yep. than you actually were given. hmm and innocent. Yeah, it, oh, dude.
1: It's it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's manipulation. It's it's exploitation of uh of human of human nature. Um yeah. and using data, you know, too. Um just against people. Well, he said one dude came up to him, he like looked him dead in the eye, like all mad. He goes, I am taking no more and no less days off than what I had in the old policy, and just walked out the door. <laughs>
0: Yeah. yeah, man, it's like the words of Furday. I feel like every day I find myself reminded of, of, of these old words, the old man referring to like right, sinful nature, Adam, the disease of self-reliance that runs in us. Ferde says the, uh, the old man dies hard. Dies hard, man. There's this thing in us that we bought this lie that we're not enough and we fear the loss of acceptance because of it and so we seek control with everything we have and because we're not good at control we inevitably feel the pain and so our lives are oftentimes just a constant search for some form of relief right Mm. call them pills if you will pain pills call them whatever you want but And we just constantly grab on to good and beautiful things from God and just turn them into measuring sticks, man. So we can lay our heads down at night and I'm guilty of it too. It's just sad. It's just sad to hear like of what the company leaders did in that case, but let's just say that they were completely sincere in it. It's, it's sad man to watch people respond the way they did, right? That we're so our identity and sense of worth is so tied to what we do that we just can't put it down, man. We just, you know, we can't put it down. So there's, you know, there's statistics and studies, you know, I know that you've read into and I have this week. Don't I don't want to get into all the details on here right now, but the the consensus is you know, sick days, man, like we would rather go into work sick and spread germs and cause other people to get the flu, <laughs> which isn't kind or loving, just to be clear. We'd rather do that, man, than suffer the indignation of being the person who had to call in. Mm. Instead of taking another week with our kids, we're like, nope, I got to get to the office because in my week off, so-and-so is going to catch up to where I am. My, right? my colleagues are going to move forward. I'm going to get left behind. And it's like, ah, oh, man. Yep. It's and I feel like it's just one of those things that. Uh, eventually, like. Eventually, you just you, you come to this place where it's like, man, surrendering. To. To this, just this whole lie that sort of like hovers above our heads is not an option. It's almost like we're not even strong enough to surrender to it. We we have to be crushed by it. Like, there has to be, like, an actual death, I feel like, for us to find freedom out from underneath this weight of this yeah. imaginary work self that we're failing to become.
1: Hmm. Yep. And the gospel is an impossible proposition, declaration, reality. Yeah. It's, 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 it's impossible. Everything in us will literally fight against it. We will do. Do we will we will sign up for crawling up stairs on our knees until they're bloody. You know what I'm saying? To mm-hmm. to pray to pray predetermined prayers and and work hard and attend church faithfully and read and do everything that's asked of us. We will grab onto um, a way of spiritual life and a way of everyday life that will just run us into an early grave before we like die to the <laughs> idea of earning. And that's why yeah. it, like, it like goes to what you're saying. Like literally a death needs to occur. And it's crazy to me that it almost like it takes these very like sizable, notable, big kind of like crash burn you know, difficult trial, almost moments Mm -hmm. where we come to really, truly realize that we're just frail and we're just humans and we're just foolish. And to realize that we are needy, that we aren't the uh, supermen and superwomen, you know, that we think uh, we are that all the things that we thought were our the, what we brought to the table is good and true and right. And, and the things that make us righteous and the things that justify our very existence are just stupid and are just silly. Yeah. Um, And to just finally have our ears open and our hearts open to hear a simple announcement that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that it is finished, that you're mm-hmm. loved right where you sit right in the ruin of your brokenness right in the, the stillness of your inactivity. Um, just as you sit right there, not clocking hours, not crushing goals, not doing anything. You just sit in the stillness of your inactivity, just as you are, because you're loved right where you are in Christ. It takes a very crazy moment. In your life, for you to grab onto, almost like a moment that God has to, for right?
0: Yeah, I think it, I think that's called repentance. I'm not sure. Yeah, because I'm I'm hearing this and I'm kind of laughing it to myself, going, I'm I'm thinking of of the people I know that are out there that will hear this and probably be think and respond this way because statistically the numbers really high according to the research, but I'm also laughing about this response I'm about to get to because I myself have been there and still go there at times. And it's that spirit in us that hears what you're saying and says, yes, failure is needed. Yes, failure is needed. And then we'll jump to all the books and all the blogs and all the conferences that are out there right now about the beauty of failure in regards to how it leads to success.
1: (laughs) The better working.
0: Yeah. Yeah, failure. You know, yeah, man, that's so true. Because you know, it's not until you really fail at something that you really start to see like what could be, and it's not until you really fail at something that that you uh, that you don't start to to grab onto all the innovative solutions of what could happen in that workplace. Be glad that you failed at that task that your boss gave you, because where where you thought that it was crushing, it actually opened your eyes to a whole new solution, which led to a whole new network of friends which birthed this new company. And out of all this came Uber, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, I'm not trying to pick on Uber. I'm just, I mean, maybe it's in my mind cause I'm watching that Showtime documentary. That's uh, that's the, not documentary, it's actually a show that's dealing with, uh, with just how Uber came into existence. But the point I'm getting at is failure as a means to a greater service isn't failure, man. And so everything you're saying about that needs to happen in us, which is so good and true and beautiful. This, these beautiful wounds that the law of God brings, right? These, this, this death to this whole myth about the project of me and you, Hmm. right? That Jesus invites us to, to take up so we can actually learn to live. And man, that workaholism thing, that religion of work is so embedded in our hearts and minds that for a lot of us, we'll hear that and then inevitably turn the failure that's needed into a means for greater success.
1: Yeah, I used to always think like if people would just come to the end of their virtuous rope or they'd hit rock bottom or what's the one phrase if like um, you're um, if you're down and out, then God is up to something or something like that. (laughs) You're down. God is up to something. And like, no, that's not necessarily like a guarantee, you know, it's, that doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily mean we'll look outward like that, that old man dies hard. Like we will constantly turn inward and we will look at that as an occasion to pick ourselves back up, try again. We'll learn, we'll turn Mm -hmm. it into like, yeah, that was part of my necessary, like my growth and my journey was to fail. And I wouldn't be the person that I am if it wasn't for that thing. It's just another occasion for us to, rise to the top and to shine yeah. and to think it's about us and yeah. to think it's about achieving and all the rest and now with that said it's like yeah there are some really good lessons to learn like when you're when you're low and again dude it always comes back to the heart man <laughs> like the heart makes everything so freaking tricky
0: yeah yeah it's almost it's almost like god knew what he was doing when he had it written that the that, that the human heart is desperately wicked above all things yeah who can understand it right who can understand it it's man it's this. it's this troubling thing that this this disease of self-reliance is probably the to me the best way to to begin to see it to to try to grasp it man but it's true it's very true it's a. and i'm not saying that there isn't some beauty and failure like within the workplace just to be clear I'm a firm believer that Seth Godin was correct, especially, you know, in regards to nonprofits, he's like, your job is to fail. If you're a nonprofit, you stepped out to achieve something that other people aren't achieving. You stepped out to to do something to solve a problem that exists in the world that somebody else hasn't solved yet. And so you're naturally going to have to fail your way there. So please, please take the money that we give and go fail on your way to actually finding the solution that's needed. So I I see what he's saying in regards to that. It's, I think what happens is when we, when we start to twist this, this notion of failure from maybe failing at a work project, you know, to failing in other, you know, areas of life and saying, yeah, man, it was, it was just so that, you know, I could, I could be successful. Hmm. You know, I, I, I stumbled in all these areas of what was, what was good and true and right, you know, put it under the camp of morality, but, but man, that's only so I could be successful in it. So I'm so thankful for all the destruction that I brought to my body and to other people. You know, it's like, no, 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 that's not, that's not what this is. No, no, um, but I do stand on like surrender probably isn't an option when it comes to workaholism, man. It's, it's probably going to require something that's more crushing, Right. Like actual failure, like actual actual death to some things, man, that we've bought, some lies that we bought to really start to be able to look at our work as something that's good and beautiful and be able to enjoy it, hopefully, right, and, um, and do it well, but not allow it to define us, not allow it to rob us. Hmm of all the other good and beautiful things that God's invited us into. Yeah. And just to say, man, um, there's a, there's
1: a prevailing thought out there, especially in the, uh, um, the here tos camp and people who have been tracking with this podcast for a long time, know what I (laughs) mean by that. It's those who, um, are very much tuned into a theology of glory if you're a Christian, it means you're supposed to be the best at everything. Mm. You're supposed to be the best dad, the best mom, the best that you know, your best disciplined person. Um, you're supposed to be the best employee. You rise to the top and they're always going to like Daniel and Nehemiah and, you know, in places um, like that. You could, you could, you could buy into, you know, that, that, because you have the Holy spirit, you're supposed to be the smartest, hardest working, highest paid person that climbs, um, the ladder, you could buy into Mm -hmm. that, or you could buy into, um, what we constantly see in the scriptures, which is that if you grab onto the righteousness of Jesus, not the righteousness of your paycheck or your position or the praise of others, you're going to feel like an alien. You're going to feel out of place. You're going to feel awkward at times, and you're going to have a ton of internal turmoil and tension as you navigate this world. Um, And so if you find yourself just constantly struggling, and constantly getting kind of pulled into that justifying story of work, plus like, just like thinking deeply on like, man, that's just, that's not it. That's not what defines me. That's not, you know that's not my mm-hmm. righteousness. That's not my justification. If you find yourself in seasons where you go down that path, maybe crash and burn hard lesson, all that. And you're back and forth and you have just such this like crazy inner turmoil. And you feel like a bit of like, um, you know, like a misfit. Um, that's probably going to be the experience of someone who's said yes to Jesus and is clinging to him while still trying to navigate this world.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. I vacillate between the, the joy of believing that good news and trusting in that reality, which is the true and only reality there is, and sneaking off to the bathroom to check emails. <laughs> Especially if you're on vacation, right? <laughs> it's you like better hope to God your yeah. wife doesn't find out. Oh, that's the ongoing, yeah, conversation and joke and an argument, um, you know, all the time, man. It's like, and then you have those moments where you're like, why, what, 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 what about this was so demanding, right? That I couldn't just say, yeah, I'll get to it tomorrow. And it's like, dude, there, you know, there it is. One minute I'm, I'm a the black hole of work. Yeah, one minute I'm a misfit who's who's clinging to reality, and the next. Minute, I'm a menace to my family because yep. I bought this lie of, of productivity and success. And it's like, ah, man. And I think it does, it does eventually come back to, you know, what, uh, the parable man that you mentioned earlier, right. The, the, the most un-American parable that Jesus told you know, of a, of a vineyard owner, man, a business owner and laborers in the field. Those who were there all day, those for six hours, and those for four hours, and two, and all the way down to that person who was there, but, you know, 30 minutes before quitting time. Yeah. They all received the same pay. This is what the kingdom of God is like, Jesus says. And it's like, man, it's a... It's a place, it's an, it's an existence, you know, where, uh, I love the ways i put it, where reward is not a matter of output or merit, but grace. Where we are valued according to our presence rather than our accomplishment. Where all the boss seems to require of his workers, and I thought this was gold, is their need. Dude, that's the total opposite of how we see life and work need oftentimes god yeah right the only thing the boss requires is our need wait 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 Hold. i thought no 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 the boss requires my my ingenuity he the requires skill, my skill my, my effort my energy my output the goals that i'm hitting the 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 example that i'm setting for others it's like no And just to be clear, don't please those listening to this, please don't be confused. I'm not saying that you can just show up for work 30 minutes before quitting time and then expect that your boss would be happy with you. Um, That will actually result in a couple of things. One, you'll be fired, um, which you should be. And two, you actually won't enjoy the beauty and the fruit that comes with the labor of your work in your hands, which I do think is part of the human experience. I actually think, handing out uh income to people who don't work at all man is actually a devaluing of the human experience altogether
1: Mm -hmm.
0: right in regards to like those who can but won't is what i'm referring to here yeah i'm not saying not taking care of people who can't work right Um, there's a difference by all means but this is a picture of what god is like
1: Mm -hmm.
0: right it's the only thing he requires is our need of him Mm -hmm. yep and to accept that acceptance man is to really begin to live in that that freedom that's found in him alone but also allows us to look at our work and go oh this is something i can go and really put my hand to man and 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 learn a little bit more about what it means to be human Mm -hmm. this is good this is beautiful yeah this is awesome well it's the it's the it's failing
1: to understand that there really are like two kingdoms at play we live in a world that doesn't um, live by the wisdom of God, which is seen in the cross itself. Yeah. And so if, as long as we are in the world, right. Which is one kingdom. It's got its own set of values, got its own set of principles. We're here. He's not taking us up. We can't escape it. We're in it. And he's called us to be in it, to be representatives of him. To have the ministry of reconciliation, to have the word of reconciliation. And um, that's got its own set of values. The thing that kills me is when we layer on top of the kingdom of God, the wisdom of the world, we start to fashion God in the likeness of our boss. And we think that God requires ladder climbing, that God requires metrics being hit, that God requires to-do lists. And all that. And it's just like, no, no, dude, that's a different king. (laughs) That's a different king. That's different altogether.
0: Well, it jacks up your whole, uh, you know, perception and practice of what it really means to know him, to see him, to follow him. But it also really starts to jack up how you see your boss and your coworkers and even your work. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword, man. When you fall prey to what you just, what you just described. Yeah. And I agree. It's a, it's a slippery slope, man, but I think it's grabbing onto what he's like and, and centering our faith on what he's done and what he's declared over us that frees us up to, to see work in its proper place. Mm-hmm. And I think, man, uh, sometimes it really is something crushing has to come along right to free us from that myth. Yeah. Which is sad, but, but true. Dude, I'll, um,
1: evil difficulty and hardship are very necessary in the process or phenomena of having our eyes open to what God is like. I've never known anyone who has a testimony of coming to find out that their righteousness is a big pile of shite. And the only thing worth anything in this world is the righteousness that God freely gives in his son by staring at a sunset and eating the most perfectly cooked ribeye. That's never anyone's testimony, you know, like, yeah, man, I was just eating this perfectly cooked ribeye with this most expensive bottle of wine I ever had in my life. And the sunset just across the ocean was amazing. I looked across from my beautiful smoking hot wife and I just thought to myself, man, Jesus died for my sins. (laughs) He loves failures and fakes like me. You know what I'm saying? That's never anyone's entry point. Right. Failure is so necessary. And I think God has a very complicated relationship with evil and, and the broken things yep. um, because um, yeah, it's really, it's really hard to see him from the height of our success.
0: Yep. Yeah. Episode three and four, man, on this podcast, right? It's, that's us dealing with that very thing from, from out of Jesus's mouth hmm. as to why God has chosen to allow these things to exist in the world. Hmm. Uh, it doesn't make them good, but it does make them valued. They have their place. Yeah, for and sure. He hasn't called us, right? Or given us a task to rid it, man. So there lies a... Uh, the tension, but also there lies the gift of faith hmm. and the gift of grace, as the scriptures say, in the midst of, of those tensions, man.
1: Yeah. Well, if anyone can redeem the hardest, most horrible things in this world, it's him. <laughs> and I don't understand it all, but man. Yeah. Well, I'm it glad it's out. him, bro, because I've seen <laughs> everybody else's
0: efforts, including my own. and <laughs> It ain't. <laughs> it ain't gonna happen i can promise you <laughs> human oh, beings man. are never ever going to achieve ever I mean, if i was if the i was hard i'd be I'd be, in be smacking themselves. people like will
1: smith dude left or right that's what i'd be doing
0: <laughs> calling it love <laughs> <laughs> exactly yep. yeah. me too i'm i'm there i'm there 100 percent, man
1: well good conversation yep. man um and uh yeah
0: until yeah. next time Till next time cheers, cheers.